Okay, we are reading from the New Testament, the second half of our Bible. And uh, if you're a visitor with us tonight, you're now turning to the larger of the two books that have been given to you, um, and also the thicker of the two books. And we're turning to page 1132. Page 1132. If you're using your own Bible, um, it's uh, Paul's letter to the Romans. In fact, we're not turning to page 1132, we're turning to page 1128, because I want to read from chapter 1, first of all. Page 1128, Romans chapter 1. And then we will uh, read some verses from chapter 3, and then finally some verses as listed on the order of service from chapter 5. But... Beginning, first of all, with Romans chapter 1, page 1128. And if you can find the verse numbered 18 of chapter 1. Paul is speaking here um, about um, God and God's dealings with all mankind, regardless of their religious or ethnic background and he tells us how we stand how all people stand in relation to God as we are born into this world so uh, verse 18 for the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse for although they knew God they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened although they claimed to be wise they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. And then if we turn to chapter 3. And uh, in between times Paul has talked about one of the great religious groups of his day, the Jews. Uh, And he himself was a Jew by background. And they had had the knowledge of God and the word of God. And they had been part of the church for generations. But then there's another group 
And they were known as the Gentiles. And they were the outsiders, if you want to put it like that. And they didn't have this background in the Old Testament. And they didn't have the knowledge of God. But Paul is saying here that those, these two groups differ massively by background. Yet they have something in common. What is that? Well, verse 9. Um, what shall we conclude then? Are we, that is we Jews, any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under sin. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away, they have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known. To which the law and the prophets, that's the Old Testament, testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice. Because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. And then we turn finally to chapter 5, page 1132 and verse 1. So Paul says it's by faith that a person is justified, that means we're declared without sin, to be without sin, by God. And so, chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. 
And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. We want to think about a single verse uh, in the Bible. It's a verse that's printed at the bottom of your order of service. Uh, I've given another translation of it. Um, a more precise translation, uh, but it's the verse that we read from Romans chapter 5 uh, and verse uh, 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Or for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. This uh, verse is part of a larger um, book of the scriptures, um, the book of Romans. Uh, it was originally um, written as a letter, and it was written to a group of Christians in the city of Rome. That's why it's called Romans. Uh, and Paul is writing now, uh, to men and women and boys and girls who have been saved. Some of them were Jews originally, and as I said earlier, having known a lot about God for many years, and others were outsiders, Gentiles, who had known very little about the ways of God uh, until they came under the preaching ministry of Paul the Apostles. And so from these two backgrounds, God in Christ has saved people, brought them out of their sin and out of their separation from him and brought them into eternal life and fellowship and communion with him. And here now in this fifth chapter uh, Paul uh, is talking about the blessings that such people have. And if you're not a Christian tonight, here are the blessings that you are missing out on. Here are the blessings that Christ wants to bring into your life. Peace with God. First and foremost, that you don't have to waken in the middle of the night and think, if I were to die now, I would go to hell. And I would be subject 
to the wrath of God forever and ever. The Christian can waken in the middle of the night and whatever's happening around him or her, whatever's happening within their body or within their mind, they can say, I have peace with God. And whatever happens, whether I live, whether I die, I'm going, I am with God, and I will be in his presence, and I will be in heaven uh, forever and ever. So, the blessing is peace with God. But then Paul also talks here in verse 3 of Romans 5, page 1132, we rejoice. Now, it doesn't mean to that that we go around with a big grinning smile from one ear to the other, and there's never a tear in our eyes, there's never an ache in our hearts. No, that's not what he means. There are tears, and there are aches in our hearts, but there's an underlying joy that we have, because we know that this God is our God, and that Jesus is our Saviour. So those are some of the blessings. And of course, um, uh, that this, or maybe what I should say is, that by blessings I mean there are some of the fruit that we have uh, as Christians. Um, and of course, most fundamental of all is the forgiveness of our sins. The fact that God looks upon us and he no longer looks upon us in his righteous and holy wrath but now in his holy and everlasting love. So that's the background. And we're going to look tonight at this sixth verse. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. And this sermon has a twofold purpose tonight. For you and me who are Christians, it's to remind us of our great and precious salvation. And that we will um, rejoice in these blessings that we have. And for you who are not Christians tonight, this sermon is designed to help you understand how to become a Christian and how to know God in this wonderful, personal, living, saving eternal way. Well, let's look at the text under two headings then this evening. First of all, sinners are without strength. And if you're not saved tonight, that's what you need to realize. I am without strength. And we'll think in a moment about what that means. And those of you who are Christians tonight, we need to remember that there was a time when I was without strength. So what does Paul mean by this phrase? Is he referring to natural or what we might call physical strength? Does he say some people, and they don't have a lot of energy, don't have a lot of muscle, 
don't have a lot of ability, physically. Well, if he were doing that, this verse would apply to only a small group of people, or some people. But it's clear that what Paul is saying here in these sections applies to all people. All people are without strength. So if it is referring to physical strength, natural strength, um, it wouldn't be relevant to us. Many of us here this evening. But we're able to get up in the morning. We're able to do a day's work. You're able to pursue your hobbies. Some of you pursue a rigorous exercise regime. You go to the gym. Or you run. Or you swim. Or you go on your bike. Or whatever. In what sense then are all men and women, boys and girls, without strength? Well, Paul is speaking here about spiritual strength. He's writing about our ability to reach God. We are without strength in ourselves to reach God, to please God, to know God, to obey God, to serve God without strength. There is nothing we can do to make ourselves right with God. And that is so because, as Paul has shown us here, God is holy and we are sinful. God is light and we are darkness. Later in the verse, Paul reminds his readers, they are ungodly. The last word uh, that we have in our text. They are ungodly. In a couple of verses later, verse 8, he reminds his readers that they were sinners. And that's the idea of, yes, you might be aiming for the bullseye and the dartboard. You might be aiming to do your best before God. But you're not even on the dartboard. You're hitting the wall every time. As far as God is concerned. Breaking his commandments. In verse 10, Paul reminds them that they were God's enemies. That's what these people were before they were saved. That's what you and I were before we were saved. Hostility existed between them and God, between us and God. So without strength. It's the same as saying, you're a sinner, you're ungodly, you are God's enemy. And this is undoubtedly the most difficult thing for human beings to admit. As I go about my work as a pastor, with the word of God in one hand and the weapon of prayer in the other hand, and that's all that Christ has given to the church, that's all he's given to me as a minister with which to minister to you, the word and prayer. As I go about and do that, and say to people, let me read the word of God to you. 
Let me pray for you. And the thing that so often is the barrier. I'm not that bad. I'm not without strength. Don't recognize, won't admit that we lack the ability to know or reach God. We consider ourselves to be far, far better than we actually are. That's the great problem with the human race. You see, all around us we're surrounded with the achievements of man. Technology. The mobile age. The computer age. Medicine. The great strides. When I was a boy, heart disease was the great killer. And now a person can take a heart attack at their, in their 40s and they can still live to be 80 or more. Rarely is a, people, is a person killed now through heart disease. Why? Because of the advance in medicine. We see the achievements of man in literature. Books that have been written. And composition of music and songs. We see it in space exploration. Man can go to the moon. And he's setting his sights on Mars. We see it uh, in construction. Recently had reason to be uh, in East Belfast, what's called the Titanic Quarter. Phenomenal. What has been done there and how that has all been transformed. The construction that's taken place and the life that has been brought to that part of the city where the shipbuilding uh, dominated years ago. You see, as we look at all this achievement, we can say, well, we're able to do it ourselves. But God says, no. When it comes to the spiritual, we are without strength. Totally incapable of anything. Doing anything. Of being anything to get ourselves or others to heaven. It's the most difficult thing for us to admit. And yet what is most difficult is most necessary. It's most necessary. For it is when we admit our total inability spiritually that we will receive help from outside ourselves. Think about it at this level. Here's a child in school. Struggling with its mass or its English. When will it receive the extra help of the teacher? When it admits its own inability. And scripture teaches us that God gives grace to the humble. God, as it were, helps the humble. Those who admit, I am of myself without strength. Father Christian, 
That's what you were. And in fact, that's what you still are. If it were not for the fact tonight that you are joined to Christ, you would still be without strength. Not able to believe for a single moment. Not able to obey for a single second without strength. And you who are still not Christians tonight, that's your state, without strength. But then let's notice secondly, sinners uh, are not without excuse. Without excuse. If Paul had stopped at this point, having diagnosed our spiritual condition, without providing a remedy for it, then we would be without help and without hope. We'd be left in a state of despair and misery. Like the patient in the presence of the doctor. The doctor's got to say to them, I have really bad news for you. You're terminally ill. And there's nothing I can do to help. We would have no prospect of improvement of our condition. But thankfully in the rest of this text, Paul gives us both hope and help. Because he tells us of a provision, a wonderful and abundant provision that God has made for those who are without strength. For those who of themselves cannot know him and cannot come to him. A provision that God wasn't obliged to make. But God chose of his own free will to make it. He wanted to do it. Paul has medicine to administer to the person who recognizes that they're a sinner. That they're ungodly. That they're without strength. Look at what he says. In due time... Christ died for the ungodly. You see, Paul now lifts us of ourselves. And he now uh, lifts our eyes of our state of spiritual weaknesses, our weakness, and he places our focus on one called Christ. And he says, here now let me tell you about one who is very different to you. Let me tell you about one who was anointed of God. Because that's what the word Christ means. It means a person anointed. Let me tell you about the God-man. Whose task it is to save sinners. This Christ, unlike you and me as a person, he is perfect. He is not without strength. He was tempted in every way as we are. But he did no sin. As the Bible puts it elsewhere, he is holy. 
He is harmless. He is undefiled, uncontaminated, unspoilt by sin. He enjoys perfect fellowship with God. That's who he is. But look at what he's done in order to address this position of weakness and without strength that we are in by nature. He says, in due time, Christ, this Holy One, this Anointed One of God, what did he do? He died for the ungodly. What a beautiful phrase. He died for the ungodly. He didn't die for good people. He didn't die for law-abiding people. He didn't die for morally upright people. He didn't die for respectable people. He died for the ungodly. Those who were reprehensible. Those who were ugly. Those who were filthy in the sight of God. And as we've seen from our earlier readings in Romans. That's not just one person here. And another there. And somebody else over yonder. That's the who's ungodly. Every single person in the human race is ungodly. And so Christ died for those who are ungodly, for sinners. In due time, the eternal Son of God became man. He lived the sinless life that sinners cannot live. In due time, not a second before, not a moment later, he died the painful, shameful death on the cross, taking the cup of God's wrath due for sin. That's what he's done. Now how are we to respond to that? Well many in our day they just scoff at it as we are singing in Psalm 1. The suggestion you're telling me I'm a sinner? You're telling me I need a saviour? And people can get very angry and upset at that thought. And yet, is there anything more obvious in life and sin? Is it a mystery? Is it a fairy tale? Is this a figment of our imagination? When as Christians and as preachers uh, we speak of sin, are we accusing people of something that's just not real in human nature? We know the answer, don't we? Switch on your television and listen to the news. And you hear of a schoolgirl murdered uh, or attacked in some way. Buy a newspaper any day of the week and read 
the front story, the front page story, and nine times out of ten, what is it? It's a bad news story. By someone's life that is in ruins because of something that someone else has done. People don't have to be taught to lie, to steal, to murder, to covet, to commit sexual immorality, to deny there is a God. It's part and parcel of human nature and it flows out of human nature automatically in the same way as we breathe involuntarily. You don't have to make yourself breathe. It's an action that happens. You don't have to make yourself sin. It's an action that happens, that flows out of our sinful human nature. Does scoffing at these things, denying these things, change reality? No, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, it simply makes people more guilty. More guilty. And so we are without excuse. And why are we out without excuse? We're without excuse because we have heard the truth. And in our heart of hearts we know the truth. That we're not right with God. And we've seen how this God in Christ has provided one to save from sin. And what does he call us to do? You who are Christians here tonight, what does he call you to do in an ongoing way, day by day? You who are not Christians here tonight, what is it that you've got to do now for the first time and then continue to do the rest of your life? It is to confess our sin to Christ. To come before him and say, You're absolutely right. I am without strength. I'm ungodly. I'm a sinner. I, without thinking about it, do wrong in your sight. But then to say, on the other hand, yes, we hold that on one hand. And then on the other hand we look and we say, but Jesus, you are the Saviour, the Anointed One, the Holy One, the One who died in the place of the ungodly. Save me, the ungodly one, by your death for ungodly ones when you do that do you know what the Bible calls that? repentance and faith that's what it means to repent I'm without strength that's what it means to have faith Lord Jesus you died for the ungodly I'm an ungodly person. Forgive me my sins. 
So here is a glorious text. A really important fundamental text that tells us on the one hand we are without strength. But then alongside that we are without excuse. Because God has provided wonderfully in Christ the Saviour of sinners. And we are to repent of our sin and to believe in him and be saved. And then we have peace with God. The forgiveness of our sins. We have joy. We have eternal life. Amen. That's for our heads and let's pray. Almighty God, we bless you tonight for your Son, the Lord Jesus, the one who is holy and harmless and undefiled as a man. He was surrounded in this world with all the sin that we are surrounded by. He was tempted by the devil as we are. But we thank you that that holy nature that he had by his birth, that that was not corrupted by the entrance of sin into him. That every single time sin around him or Satan tempted him, he said continually, No. No. And he delighted continually in you and your word. And we thank you that it is because he lived that life that he was able to die for the ungodly. We thank you for that great salvation that he gives to all who trust in him. And this evening we pray for the Holy Spirit to apply to our lives these truths. Help us who are Christians tonight to remind ourselves again and to remember again there was a time I was without strength. And there was a time when I was without excuse. Lord God, we pray for any with us tonight who are not yet a Christian. And we ask, Lord, that they might tonight might see themselves as you see them, without strength, without ability to make it to heaven, without peace, without joy, without forgiveness. And also, Lord, Tonight without excuse. Because if they were to die now. Without Christ. They have heard of him. And have not received. Grant O Lord. To all. And to any among us this evening. Who do not believe yet. That work of your spirit in their hearts. That enables them to repent. And to believe 
in Jesus as their Savior. In his name we pray and for his glory. Amen.